You guys see these colors around a lot, and uh, in fact, see it on my shirt, saw it on Destiny's shirt, uh, see it on uh, Nate's mug right there, uh, Nate, Nate's water jug. We do have stickers if you'd like a stick. Oh, see it on Bob's phone. And uh, uh, once you kind of see what this means, um, it's a good reminder of everything we need in our walk with Christ. In fact, somebody once, I think it was Spurgeon, he said, anything you need between here and heaven is found in Christ. Amen? And and it's all found in these colors right here. And so I want to kind of share this with you because it leads right in. It's a great segue into uh, starting Ephesians chapter 3, where the Apostle Paul is uh, going to start a prayer, but then he has a 13-verse parentheses in the middle of this prayer. But it all ties into this right here. So in this, if you notice, the main color in the very middle is gold. And uh, it reminds me that my home is where? Yeah, my home is heaven. And, uh, you know, we put a lot of value in gold. And gold is a valuable thing here. We watch the markets. We buy gold to symbolize, you know, our our, uh, wedding and anything that's valuable. But, dude, gold's the asphalt of heaven. You got that? We're killing ourselves for gold, and our money isn't even based on gold anymore, but we're killing ourselves for gold and sometimes lose our priorities. And one of the most important things we've got to remember is this is not our home. Where is our home as believers? It's in heaven. And so not only is this going to be a great, is a great way to share the gospel, it's kind of a platform for me to do it, but it's a reminder. I keep these colors around. In fact, if you notice my paddleboard last week, or if you've been out paddleboarding with us, uh, you'll notice that the Eddie special, when we made those, that's what they called it. But it has these colors on it. So that as I'm paddling through the day, man, I might be paddling, thinking about other things. And if I look down and God picks out that gold, man, it causes me to focus on that color. And remember, my home is heaven. Because this place can be kind of discouraging sometimes, right? You know, we have our ups and downs. Uh, that bucket that we have, the rusty bucket, is actually called the joy bucket. And, uh, and, and it has holes in the bottom. And when we were preaching through Philippians, we were, we were saying how joy leaks. You know, you get great news, right, Paige? Great news, everything's awesome. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, the next week or the week after, the joy is coming out of the bottom of the bucket when our joy is built on circumstances, But when our joy, the Apostle Paul says in the book of Philippians, is built on a relationship with a living God that cannot change, nothing can steal our joy. And so, um, man, joy doesn't leak if you know where your joy really comes from. It comes from an inseparable relationship with an eternal God. You guys know, I'm looking at this group here, and and I'm saying within 50, 60 years, how many of y'all think you got less than 50 years left on this planet? All right, yeah. Man, how many think you got less than 25 on this planet? Okay, good. Some of y'all aren't even going to commit, are you, Terry? You're like, dude, embalm me like Disney and Ted Williams, man. <laughs> no, dude, this is not my home. Man, when it's time to punch the clock and get out of here, dude, I'm totally cool with that. Because when I go to heaven, I am going to be perfect. When I go to heaven, you're going to be perfect, <laughs> and, and it's going to be perfect, and we're going to be with a perfect God, and we're going to be there forever, man, and none of us are going to be like, oh, man, I wish we'd go back to earth. Hey, you got any shuttles going back? Is this an elevator? Just make sure you push it off for earth and not the lower level, right? But no, dude, we're not going to want to leave. We're going to be so blown away by God, but yet so often we're so tied to this world, and I don't know about you but I need the constant reminder that my home is in heaven. So I surround myself with these colors. And one of the first things I see when Destiny walked up, when Tom's back there with his shirt, man, I see the gold. It represents where my home is. It's in heaven. And that's the perspective that we have to have is that we know we are here for a short period of time. And so the dark in it represents, or the black color represents, and it reminds me that heaven wasn't always my home. I didn't come in this world with a, with a free ticket to heaven. I didn't, I, I didn't come into this world as God's child. In fact, the book of Romans says I came in this world as an enemy to God. That's not me speaking. That's the word of God speaking. Because we have a lot of mamby-pamby theology and universalism and, oh, God is love. And, and, and everybody's going to heaven. No, they're not. And if the devil can get you believing that, you will not do your job and realize why he's left you here on this planet. 
and, and you will not share the gospel because it's like it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, and I don't want to do that. But when you realize that souls who die without Christ spend eternity in hell, and you undeservingly have received God's grace and have an eternal home in heaven, and you are grateful for that, you want to do nothing but share that with others. Amen? So I got to realize my home's heaven, but it wasn't always that way. How many of y'all know you came into this world with sin, right? Uh, little kid, uh, 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 Alana, good little baby. She's a good girl. Oh, you're like questioning that right now, right? Yeah, so if she's hungry in the middle of the night, she say, oh, I think I'm just going to wait for mommy and daddy to wake up. I, I know what it's like. I'll, I'll wait for them to wake up, and then I'll go, eh, eh, you know, food, food, food. Is that what she'll do? No. What if she's got a messy diaper in the middle of the night? You know, I'm just going to live in this, in this tribulation, as Saint put, uh, Zane put it. You got a messy diaper. I'm going to live in this tribulation. No. What does the baby do when the baby is uncomfortable or the baby wants something? Wah! Right? Now, uh, some of y'all are saying, well, that's what my husband does. Well, I'm just saying that's sin. <laughs> All right? It's sin. And we're supposed to be, in fact, we love God. He calls us to love others. And when we love others, they're more important than us. So we live in that tribulation, whether it's a toughness on a job or a messy diaper. It's somewhere in between there. But the fact is, is we had sin. I came into this world with sin. The more I tried to stay out of trouble, the more trouble I got into. The worse it was. And, and on top of that, even if I could only do good things, Sin is not only, not only doing the wrong thing, but it's not doing the right thing. And I never did all the right things. But even if I did the right things, I did it with the wrong motivation. The only reason I was nice before I got saved because it benefited me. You catch more flies with sugar than you do vinegar. And you can use other stuff to catch flies too. And that's kind of what we do, right? But I, I, I had the wrong motivation. I, I was selfish. And I couldn't get rid of it. I couldn't cover my sin no matter what. That's why we make these shirts black, because try to cover up the black. You can't cover your own sin. You can't take your sin away. Who's the only one who can cover your sin? Christ. Who's the only one who can, who can cover it and take it away? It's Christ. And so in that, that reminds me, whenever I'm paddleboarding and I'm looking, or whenever I see my shirt and I see the black, I'm like, and God makes me focus on it. Guess what? I, ooh, man. I got to start focusing. Ooh, God, what is it in my life right now that's causing me not to really represent you? What is it, God, that's dividing me and you? What is it that's causing me not to live abundantly right now that's a blockade between me and you? What is it that's quenching the Holy Spirit? And he has me focus on that. And I know that it's forgiven, but so positionally, I'm covered eternally, and we'll talk about that later, but practically speaking, it's standing in the way of me and God and my relationship with Him. So as a believer, I still focus on these colors, but when I was not saved, man, I would like to have had a home in heaven. In fact, I'd like to believe I, was, uh, I had a home in heaven, and I'd like to redefine sin to say that I didn't have sin, but the Bible, through God, defines sin. And it's anything short of, bringing, of not bringing him glory. It's, if you don't bring him glory, you miss the mark. That's sin. And I needed it covered. I needed it paid for. And one day, God gave me the desire and ability to believe that the only thing that can cover my sins is what? Nate, what's the only thing to cover my sins? The blood of Christ, which is what this red is. This red reminds me of the blood of Christ. Now, you know what I thought I had to do? I thought I had to be good enough. I thought I had to quit doing this, quit doing that. I thought I had to work through it. And finally, I could qualify and say, God, now, can you forgive me of all my sins? I'll make it worth your while. I, I, I don't know if you ever had that performance-oriented theology, but I know that's how the world thinks. That's how I thought in the world. But at some point, God put in my head, put in my heart, the biblical, um, the correct theology that there's nothing I can do. So I know I've witnessed, the, shared the gospel with thousands upon thousands of people, and I can't tell you how many people I've heard that said, when I get better, I'll then come to God. You know what? You can't come to God. You can't get better until you come to God. You can't get better and come to God because you need God to change your desires. He's the one. How many of y'all, when you gave your life to Christ, your desires changed? Yeah. I desire now to be in church. Prior to being saved, that would have been hell on earth. 
So I know some of y'all are here. Somebody's here with a drug problem. Somebody drug you to church, and you're just enduring saying, dude, we got here at 930, man. He doesn't even start preaching until 10. Oh, my, I thought we were going to be out of here. No, dude, I hope y'all packed your lunch, man. I'm just saying, we'll be done when God's done, and you're welcome to leave at any point in time. But literally, man, he changed my desires. And that's what Romans also tells us, that he loved us when we were in the middle of our sin, in the worst of our sin. You know what is one qualification you have to have to be saved? You got to be a wretched, miserable sinner. (laughs) That's it. If you were not a wretched, miserable sinner, you can't be saved. Because number one, you don't realize you need to be saved. And you don't want to be saved. You think you're saved. One day you'll find out you're not. And for every believer that's full of the love of Christ, they want to see you get saved from your sin and from the penalty of sin and, and, and everything that goes with it. So for me, man, again, my home is heaven. There's nothing I could have done to create that home for myself or earn my way or work my way in. I couldn't perform enough sacraments, do enough things. Only the blood of Christ. One day he revealed to me the blood of Christ was the only thing that could cover my sins. And he is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So he covers it and takes it away. And once he does that, how long does he do that for? Forever. It's not like a magazine subscription. You guys remember magazines? Oh my goodness, I've, uh, somebody brought up the other day, y'all remember in the newspaper, y'all remember newspapers? <laughs> Do you remember when you used to like, for 99 cents, you can get 100 CD, 100, no, not CD, cassettes. You remember that one? 100 cassettes. How many of y'all still owe them money? <laughs> I'm just saying, but, but yeah, you don't have to renew it like a subscription. I guess a subscription now, they just bill you on Amazon or whatever. You're like, it's not a renewable thing. Once you do it, Once you're saved, his blood covers you forever. You're saved forever. And your ticket to heaven is punched, dude. Your ticket to perfection is punched. You're his child. If you at some point have surrendered everything you know about yourself to everything you know about him. And that's salvation. The rest of the time you're on here is a process called sanctification, where you become more and more and more like him until glorification when he takes you to heaven and makes you exactly like him, which you will be forever and ever and ever. So again, the gold reminds me my home is where? The black reminds me it wasn't always so because I brought into this world what? Sin. And I couldn't cover it. The only thing that could cover my sin is represented by the red, which is the what? The blood of Christ, which I do not deserve, I could not earn, I couldn't duplicate. He had to give me the desire and ability for that to go down. But now the green, the green is why he left me here. That's why he left me here. How many of y'all think it would have been better if once you got saved, he just took you to heaven? Wouldn't that be cool? Would that not? But we'd have no tribulation. Jane, like, what's wrong with that? Well, there would be no joy if there were no tribulation, Right? He's got a purpose. He's left us here. The green, when you, see the, when you see somebody's grass that's brown, you know that it's not what? Growing. It's dying. When you see somebody's grass that's green and thriving, what do you think? It's growing. Green represents growth. So this green represents why I'm here. As I go through tribulation, the same stuff everyone else is going through in this rotten world that the book of Romans even says that the earth is groaning. The earth is groaning, man. Like, you guys are messing this up through bad decisions. The earth is groaning, wanting to be redeemed, wanting it to go back to the way it was before the curse. People, how many of y'all are groaning because of all the mess-ups you're seeing in the world, especially out of yourself when you look in the mirror? Yeah, the earth, everything's groaning. And, and so we live in this, this world that is not getting better. But we are here for a purpose, and the purpose is to grow more in love with Christ. It's to grow, grow more in love with Christ. And he promises us, Romans 8, 28, he says, we know. That isn't we speculate, we hope, we wish, we encourage ourselves. He said, no, man, we know that what? All things, tribulation included, all things work together for what? Good to those who love God, 
Not love God, love themselves, love God. Love God. You love God. What did he even tell the Israelites, the commandments? First commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love him. They asked Jesus to summarize the commandment. What's the most important commandment? Love God. He said, then you'll love others. And so, man, if you, for those who love God and are called according to what? His purpose. We know if you love God and you're called according to his purpose, you have a purpose in life. In fact, there was a whole movement in California that spread all over the purpose-driven life, and that was a good idea. Your purpose is to glorify God. But he said in this that we know that all things work together to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And you look at the next verse, you get a bunch of big theological terms, but I'm going to summarize it for you, and you can look at it later, and we'll preach on it one day again. But the fact is, is he says, the, the good is you're going to be like him, and you're going to bring him glory. So everything that comes into mine and your life, whether we like it or don't, it's there for our good and his glory. That's what it's there for. And when we understand that, we have a whole lot less anxiety, don't we? So man, there's days I'm paddleboarding, and I'm going, oh, Lord, what's going on? It might be the tide that's ripping me around. Marissa, where's Marissa? You were out the other day. Zane and I were talking on the boat Friday. It was Friday, wasn't it? And Zane goes, is that, that, Mar- is that Marissa? Yeah. There's Mar- is that you, Pastor Eddie? Because she never glasses on. I know she's blind without them. But anyway, now everybody else knows that too. All right. So, but she's paddling against the current, man. You know, why am I out here paddling? Uh, bottom line, it could be anything. But the fact is, whatever we're going through, is there by God's design. There is no accident and there is no bad in God's economy. Every single thing that God does is for his glory. And our purpose on this planet is to grow more in love with him and see it from that perspective. So man, when I see the green, I'm paddling, I'm like, God, what's going on? God, why are you doing this? God, who's going to, you know? He's like, (laughs) he's reminding me that if I see it from his perspective, then later I'll be able to help others see it from that perspective. But what's going to happen is I'm going to grow more in love with him as I watch him work me through this situation. How many of y'all ever had God work you through a tough situation and you survived? How many of y'all are better for it? How many of y'all hated it in the middle of it? Maybe then you started loving it. But then at the end, how many of y'all in a kind of masochistic way, would like to go back to that because life's so easy. Seriously, is there anybody ever thinks about that way? There's a time before we planted this, that, dude, I was closer to God than I'd ever been. No qualm. Man, Jay and I were talking about this other day on the boat, but man, there was a time. Now, dude, I don't want to wish any hardship on me, any of that stuff, but man, I miss not having anything between me and God. And I'm covering that with the blood of Jesus so that I can, like, in my current life, <laughs> still have that going on. But, man, when you went through those tough times and watched God work, dude, there's something special about that. And, and, and you would never trade those days for anything in the world because at the end of the tribulation, what do you have, Zane? Yeah, you got hope. You know, I'll tell you this story, all right? <laughs> just because God put it on my heart. And I promise I'm going to get to Scripture here in the next hour or something. No, I'm just messing with you, but... We only have a half a chapter to cover. How long can that take, Terry? No, I'm just messing with you. But, man, in the, in the, I was a beach boy right over here. Like, I've been a, a, I've been a corporate pastor my whole life. Whole compensation package. You go to the next church. I've only been at three churches, four churches prior to starting this one here. And, you know, you go and you're like, oh, yeah, so I got experience. I get this level of salary, and here's my, here's my insurance package. And, you know, yeah, okay, this is where God's calling me, and blah, 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 hold on. We've had it taken care of, and we've had it pretty good. But God put us in a position, in a transition, that put me in a position where they were going to reappropriate the finances associated with me and my ministry and hire two guys for what they were paying me. And that was what God wanted to do, and that was okay. I got no problem with that. Only problem was I had three months severance. I'd never had that before. I have never been let go of a job. They're like, we love everything you did, but we're going a different direction. You don't have to do anything for three months. I'm thinking, dude, I'll find a job in three months. No problem. God kept telling me, I want you to plant a church on the beach. Why don't you plant a church on the beach? I'm like, no, I'm too old to plant a church on the beach, and I don't want to be broke for five years. God, I've worked this hard, and I'm not going to, you know. Every day somebody came to me, lost people, saved people. You should plant a church on the beach. You should plant. I'm like, shut up. In fact... Literally, the only reason we even started the first service 
we started it as ghetto as you could be. There were no like launch parties and you know what all the junk they man, we had some umbrellas in the sand. And we had a guitar player, like all I needed in Haiti was a guitar player. And we preach at 9.30 in the morning in the sun in, on June 26, 2014. It was hot. People wore jeans. They didn't get the whole concept. <laughs> I watched people's faces sweltering, the few that actually showed up. And some of them actually came back the next week. I only started the service to prove to everybody we weren't supposed to plan a church. Well, here we are. I think it's eight years later, I think, and praise God. But during that time of being a beach boy, I'm 52 years old at that time. By the way, I'll be 60 in another few months or whatever, if you're wondering. But you're like, dang, life's been rough on you. You look way older than that. But anyways, that's my wife that looks young. But anyway, so I'm a beach boy at this hotel right down there because the GM Ed Griffith, he worked in my kids' ministry and all this other stuff, and I knew him. He said, yeah, I'd love to have you down on the beach. And someone else loaned me some paddle boards, Cowabunga. They, I knew them because they worked in the kids' ministry and they had like four paddle boards, four foamy surfboards, four boogie boards, and four uh, skim boards. And I had a tent that I owned. <laughs> and I put it up and I sat on the beach, man, and tried to make a living. God, and God showed me that's where ministry was. He was showing me that it was out there. That became my pulpit along with the paddleboard ministry and then later the boat ministry. But he showed me that's where my real pulpit was. So I could show you that's where your pulpit is, out there. But dude, there wasn't much money in being a beach boy out there. And, and, and I'm out there, and there was one day, and by the way, it was the year that was my 25th wedding anniversary, the year that my son was graduating from high school. So I'm sitting there thinking, God, this is not good time. And he said, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called. To and I had to, all right, God, I'm trusting you. And we've always, you know, not lived extravagant, but we had what we needed. This point in time, dude, we're scraping. It came to a point where I had no meat in my freezer for the first time in my life. No meat, Zane. Yeah. Oh, dude, I had some rice and beans, some others. I knew we were, weren't going to die, but yeah, my son's senior high school. Ashley's watching it from up in, up in college, married to JJ, and like, dang, is that what ministry does? You're going to revert all the way back down to there? And like, yeah, whatever God wants. Fortunately, her and I would talk every day at one o'clock, and she was actually encouraged by what was God was doing and praying for us and so on. But man, there was one day I needed to make some money. I, just so I could stop at Sam's and I could buy some meat on the way home. I take off. I, I, I'm, I'm there. And on that day, man, all the tourists came out of the hotel. And then God sends an Armageddon cloud from the west that comes around and circles this hotel right there. And it ran everybody off the beach. I remember looking at it. It was just staying right off the shore saying, don't come out to the beach. And I'm going, God, what's going on? And it was on that day, I start walking down this beach, and I'm like, God, I, get, I don't know. What do you want me to do? He's like, I've been trying to tell you, plan a church. I'm like, where would I even start? I'm not a church planner. He says, start here. And he had me walk up this, this walkway. And if you remember, and maybe it still is this way, but it was, dude, there was like barbed wire. No, it was. It was like, it was the most unwelcoming thing. Stay out. We're going to shoot you. We're going to lay. You know, I'm walking up the stairs, and it was just unwelcoming. Get out. Private property. No trespass. I'm saying, God, I can't. He said, go up there. Walk up there. I'm like, God, it says not to. He said, I said to. I start walking up these little stairs right here, and I see the little pavilion. He said, can you start a church right there? And I said, yeah, but they don't want a church here. And I didn't know. I'm just throwing this out to God from my head. And, and, and so then I, he says, keep going. I said, but it says no. And I, said, I walked up more. This white patio out here. He said, can you start a church here? I said, yeah. And then he said, look in this building. And I looked in here. On that day with Armageddon cloud, I'm ticked off at God. And I look in and he says, can you start a church in here? And I said, God, this would be a dream come true. And then a day I don't walk in here, especially on a Sunday, where I don't remember that. Because look at you guys. Y'all weren't there then, and I wasn't there. I look in, I said, yeah, but God, they don't want a church. And I went back out, called this guy, Fernando. He's like, yeah, we're, I'm looking for a piece of property for us for have a church. I said, well, check this one out. Here's a number. And he calls me back and said, yeah, they actually were looking for a church. I'm like, oh. But on that day, that was one thing he did that day. But when I left... I still didn't, I didn't have no meat for my freezer. 
I'm going driving past Sam's. I even had a cooler. You want to talk about faith, you know? I got a cooler. <laughs> but I didn't make a dime, and I didn't have any meat. I could not, for the first time in our 25 years of marriage, stop and buy some meat, even at Sam's. And I drove by, and I'm like, God, I don't get it, man. I just don't get it. And I get a phone call from a guy named Todd Stone. <laughs> He's my buddy this day. In fact, you bought his house. <laughs> and we didn't even know we knew each other. You bought his house, man. I got more stories about all that. I'm driving past Sam's going, God, I don't get it. And I get a phone call, and Todd's like, hey, what are you doing, man? <laughs> He's this, uh, West. He's from Auburndale. He's but he's like, what are you doing, man? I said, I'm driving home. And he's like, hey, you got a cooler? And I'm like, what? Yeah, I got a cooler. He's like, man, we just got back from the best fishing trip in the Keys. We got mahi out the yin-yang, man. I'm like, okay. And I'm like thinking, he's like, come and get some. I got a vacuum bag, and I got a bunch of fresh stuff we ain't going to eat that you got to eat right away. And I'm sitting there thinking, well, my wife doesn't like fish, but like my mama said, if you don't like it, you ain't hungry enough. So she's going <laughs> to, I'm driving. I'm like, oh my goodness. So I turn around and I'm like, no way, dude. I'm like, God, this is like a George Mueller story. And if you don't know who George Mueller is, go read George Mueller because he ran a whole orphanage back in the day of England, uh, and he was an aristocrat when people didn't help each other out, man, and he prayed everything in. Go read that. That's where my inspiration came from in there. And so I turn around. I get to his house right where you're living. I pull up right in that little corner, and he said, bring your cooler here. And we go to his deep freeze, and he starts throwing this mahi in there. He said, y'all eat pork? I'm like, yeah, we eat pork, <laughs> especially my wife. <laughs> and uh, throws pork, and he's like, I got these steaks my wife won't cook, and he starts throwing them in there, and I don't even, it was, my cooler was so full, I couldn't close it, and I'm walking back to my truck, crying my eyes out, saying, God, you are so faithful, as I put that cooler back in my truck. You think I had some joy? Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I had joy, but it had to happen after that tribulation. He had to take me past Sam's to do all of that. And so again, I got story after story after story of things. But the fact is, as my home's in heaven, it wasn't always so because of sin. And, and the only thing that can cover my sin and take it away is the blood of Christ. And when that covers you, he's got you. You work for the best CEO, for the best corporation in the universe. In fact, every corporation in this universe is going down except ours, amen? And he's the CEO. He's in charge. And he wants you to understand that everything he puts you in and through is by his design to perfect you and make you more like him and bring him glory. But as Zane said, we keep trying to pray it away. Oh, get rid of this, God, get rid. And he put it there on purpose. And so this reminds me constantly that whatever I'm going through, dude, I may not like it, but it makes me like it a whole lot more. But it's by his design so that he can get the glory and I can become more like him. Amen? So that's what these colors are for. And so here's what was happening in Ephesians chapter 3. Where did... Where did Paul write the book of Ephesians from, y'all? Prison, yeah. Where did he write the book of Philippians, the book of joy from? Prison. And he wasn't even really a criminal. He, he basically kind of, uh, he preached the gospel. In fact, he preached this mystery he's talking about. And he preached it, and they, the Jews didn't like it. They started a riot. He kept preaching. They started another riot. And bottom line is... Uh, one thing led to another. Now he's waiting for Caesar to see him because he's a Roman citizen, and he's in prison. But yet he's, God had to slow him down so he could write these books so we could enjoy what's here. Because if God didn't throw him in prison, what would Paul have been doing? Preaching, sailing somewhere else, going somewhere else. God said, I'm slowing you down. He was chained to prisoner so God could speak and he would listen. Oh, I remind people that when they're laid up and they're crippled and they can't do anything. Man, you can pray. You can hear from God. No matter what's going on in your life, listen. That's what's going on. So in chapter 3, he had people asking him, Paul, why are you in prison, man? He had troublemakers. Uh, he had troublemakers. Uh, JJ, is that the very end? Or? Oh, there we go. Um, he had troublemakers 
basically going and saying, oh, Paul's like, Paul, Paul's, don't follow him. He's in prison. Don't follow him. He's messed up. You don't want that. And Paul's saying, look, here's why I'm in prison, guys. And don't worry about it. He had other people with the mer- gift of mercy. Anybody here have the gift of mercy? All right, let me ask you a question. If somebody started throwing up right in your little group right there, how many of you would be like, oh, I feel bad for you, and let me clean? How many of y'all would like, yeah. How many of y'all would say, get away from me, or I'm going to throw up? Yeah, you don't have the gift of mercy. You surround yourself with those people. But yeah, the mercy people saying, oh, Paul, you're so, so, we feel so bad that you, you're in prison. And he's like, no, dude, this is awesome. In fact, again, in Philippians, he says, I'm in chains by God. God has put me in prison so I can write this stuff to you. Here he's saying, man, there's a purpose. You know, everybody in Caesar's Praetorium has heard the gospel. (laughs) That was his preaching point. You get arrested for doing the right thing. Guess what you got? A jail ministry. I'm just saying. (laughs) Wherever you're at, you've got one purpose in life. We work for him. We live for him. We love him. So there is a parenthesis in a prayer you're going to see because the principle that he addressed at the end of chapter two that we talked about a couple of weeks ago is so important. He he starts out praying, oh, dear God, oh, and by the way, and he has 13 verses of of, parentheses reiterating what the important principle is that he's bringing up. So look with me, if you would, Ephesians 3, verse 1. He starts praying. He says, when I think of all of this, hey, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between prayer and worry? Who you're talking to. You got that? Difference between prayer and worry is who you're talking to. You're talking to yourself. How many of y'all talk to yourself? Yeah, turn that into a conversation with God. Now guess what? It's prayer. And that's what he's just thinking of this. He's, He's thinking of all this with God. He says, when I think of all this that's going on, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles. So first of all, he's saying, God made me a prisoner. Does that even make sense to some of y'all? God made me a prisoner. In fact, I saw one time somebody had a list of all of the like different people in the Bible and how search committees on churches would never hire him. Oh no, this guy's a troublemaker. He starts riots everywhere. We don't want that guy. You tell me you wouldn't want the apostle Paul to be your pastor? Dude, I'd glean on that but we have our own, we don't like that tribulation because maybe we just don't like that joy. We don't like that hope. We want to have hope in us, joy in something else. But he said, man, when I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of who? You know what? He wasn't a prisoner of the Roman government. He wasn't a prisoner of Caesar. He was was a prisoner of Christ. So who threw him in jail? Christ. Christ. Who put someone in the hospital? Who allowed someone to be in a have a heart issue? Who allowed somebody to have marital difficulties? Now, even like Zane was saying, sometimes we're idiots and we make our own mistakes and cause our own trouble. How many of y'all are guilty? Yeah. But even in that, when we turn to God, God can make beauty out of ashes. And that's what he wants us to do. He said, man, when I think of all this, Paul, I'm a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Rome thinks I'm their prisoner. You know, Caesar, whatever. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Wouldn't that be a great warden to have is Jesus Christ? You know, whatever you need, that's what you got. He said, but it's for the benefit of you who? Gentiles. And that's where the problem was because, man, the Jews never expected that Gentiles would be equal with them. Yeah, they can have their own church. In fact, the, the Jews brought the gospel. The gospel came through them. They thought they owned it. And therefore, they thought that if someone Jew, someone was going to become a Gentile, they had to better do the Jewish stuff first. You better get circumcised. You better eat the dietary laws. You better do all of our stuff, and then we'll let you be in here. And instead, Paul told us in the last chapter, he said, no, you Jews and Greeks, you free and slave, you men, you women, no matter what society says, you guys are equal. You're different, but you're equal because it's Christ that brought you together. He said, when you t- instead of making a bunch of free Jews and a bunch of free Gentiles, he said, you know what I'm doing? I'm making a new race out of this whole thing. I'm making a whole new race. And that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. So you know what? You may be Puerto Rican. You may be Polish like me. You may be white. You may be black. You may be Chinese. You may be whatever. You may be free. You may be a slave. You may be a man. You may be a woman. But guess what? There is no distinction in the church. And we can't let that separate us. Because the world wants to separate us. 
And so he says, we are all, how many? One. We are, man, you remember the apostles. What was the car that they drove right before Pentecost? They were, they were in one accord, that little Honda, right? Yeah? No, I'm just, bad preacher joke y'all heard before, right? They were in one accord. They, they, you know what that meant? It meant no matter where they were coming from, who they were, what was going on, they were digging, being all one in Christ because now there was unity. We may have, we all have different strengths, different weaknesses. He says we're all part of one body. We'll get to that later in another book. But he said, man, when I think all this, Paul, prisoner of Jesus Christ, it's for the benefit of you Gentiles because you've been looked at as outsiders, but I'm trying to let everybody know that everybody is one and people aren't liking it. And that's why he's actually in prison. Look at verse 14. When I think of all, oh yeah, so check this out. So here's the beginning of his prayer. When I think of all this, I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, for the benefit of the Gentiles, he starts the prayer. He said, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I pray to the Father. But in between there, he gives up a big theology lesson. And here it is. God made me a prisoner because this principle that I'm sharing with you is so important. You know what the principle is? The principle is unity. Zane and I were on a boat. And he didn't know I was really listening all that good because I just kind of looking around and stuff, but I was listening, and, and Zane was talking about how he does premarital counseling. Can y'all imagine going to premarital counseling with Zane? I'm just saying. <laughs> well, there's some good stuff in there, and, and he was talking about, you know, the three chords, and I've, I've, I've done this, you know, even, even for the unity thing, we've had a gold cord, and that represents God, and this purple one represents the husband, and this white one represents the wife, or vice versa, and then at the unity thing, they braid it together like their life is braided on God, but Zane introduced to me a whole new concept in that, that maybe you guys are like, well, yeah, that's the way I've always heard it, and, and, and what it is, is you've got this eternal rope, which is God. God is this eternal rope, but here's you, man. You're a broken cord. Here's a pink one that's a broken cord. Here's a green one that's a broken cord. And, and what's supposed to happen when you figure out that you're broken, you need to attach yourself to someone who's not broken to not be broken anymore. So again, in this, so here's your salvation. You attach yourself to Christ. And, and now, positionally, here you are, man. Here's all of us. We keep, we, we, keep atta we attach ourselves to Christ. And so here we are. So is it our strength that's holding things or is it him? It's him. Our life is built on him. Positionally, there's nothing that can take you off of here. In fact, we'll even add maybe just a couple more of these here. So, you know, brown, uh, if I had other colors, I'd tie those on. If you want to take your shoelaces off and do that, you're welcome to come up here and do that. But man, so, so here's, here's where it is. As long as we understand that we are broken, that's what it takes to be saved. You got to realize you're lost first, right? You're broken. You can't save yourself. But even in salvation, as long as we realize we're broken, who do we stay connected to? Christ. What was that? That one guy, Jonah, dude, didn't he say you can have one heck of a prayer meeting in the belly of a whale? Something like that. Um, that's Eddie paraphrase. But how many of y'all get close to God when things are tough? When you realize you're broken, when you realize something's there that you can't fix, you can't put together, it's beyond your resources. Who do you stay close to? God, if you have faith. But what happens once we start saying, whoo, I think I got this now. Anybody ever been there? Oh, I got it now. Oh, God. All right. I know where you're at, God. If I need you, you're right there. Oh, in fact, God, you know what? I'll tell you what I'm going to do. God, I'm just going to you know, kind of come off you a little bit, but I'm, gonna, I'm just going to be right here. And I'm even going to kind of let people know I'm with you, whatever. But, you know, as soon as we think we're not broken anymore, what do we do? We attach ourselves to another cause, another person. In fact, you know what happens often is we start attaching ourselves to another cause. It may be even something like patriotism. It may be something like politics. It may be something like a job. But guess what? When you start attaching yourself to a bunch of broken cords, what do you got? Anything you attach yourself short of Christ is broken. And if I were, Kristen, were you a cheerleader? I knew it, man. Dude, you were Plant City Strawberry Festival queen, right? You had to be a cheerleader to even like qualify, right? But uh, man, did y'all have pom-poms? Oh, dude. Y'all know pom-poms, right? You ever make a pom-pom? You tie a bunch of broken strings together and, and then you fluff them out and you got a pom-pom, right? You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of pep rally. Y'all were good, getting us all fired up. 
You ever been at a pep rally? Even a spiritual pep rally at church, you're all fired up, woohoo! Then you go out and you have tribulation and that doesn't last, right? This is what happens when you attach yourself to other broken people, other broken causes, other broken things, including a country, a political forum. A, 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 you know what most people found out during quarantine and during all this? That even your company that was bomb-proof can go down. Different markets, different things. Well, somebody says, well, nothing could ever happen to this. I'm like, oh, yes, it can, and it will. The only thing nothing can ever happen to is who? Christ. So we stay attached to Christ, and that's what we're supposed to do. But we tend to get ourselves attached to other broken things. Now we've got a cause, and, and even though positionally we've got a home in heaven, practically speaking, he's not the most important thing in our life. Now we're into this, we're into that. Oh, now I'm into this next venture or this thing right here, and Christ is in the background. Are you still covered by the blood of Jesus? Absolutely. But are you fulfilling what he's, called, what he's left you here to do? Absolutely not. Are you missing the blessing? Are you missing the hope? And what happens every time you find out, oh, dude, that person's broken. Even in churches, people attach themselves to a pastor, to a church. Dude, don't attach yourself to me. I'm going to let you down. I promise. Ask my wife. <laughs> I'm not going to do it on purpose. It's just going to happen, man. I'm telling you, I'm a human. Just like, And so again, I've watched people attach themselves to a pastor, and when a pastor falls, man, they're crushed, and they, they quit following Christ. They were never following Christ to begin with. They're following a church. They're following a pastor. So it can even happen in the religious world, a system. I watch people fall, go into a religious system and it crashes and burns and now they're done and they don't follow Christ more. You follow Christ, keep yourself attached to him and it all works out. And so in this, he says, um, he says in the very first part, oh, we're only on the first verse here. He said, when I think of all this, <laughs> I feel the Holy Spirit's gonna take it and we're gonna fly now, man. <laughs> When I think of all this, we will stop when God tells me to stop. And you know he answers prayer. So if you're like in a hurry, just let's see how good your prayer life is. All right? I'm just saying. He said, when I think of all of this, of what God has done in him calling me, calling me to be the spearhead of this controversial ministry that's so controversial, this new thing that John the Baptist introduced and Jesus talked about and even changed at the Lord's Supper and said he was changing. Man, when I think about all this and God called me after beating Jews and throwing them in jail to now represent this new thing and I got thrown in jail, when I think about all this and what he's done in all y'all's life, he said, man, a prisoner of Jesus Christ for the benefit of you Gentiles, it's for you guys that I'm doing this. How many of y'all know that the tribulation you go through is not for you? In fact, Paul tells, I think it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, I want to say it's somewhere in there. He said, dude, I can't wait to get through this. You know why? Because when I get through this, Marissa, I'm going to, dude, I'm always used to seeing you eating. Don't worry about it. I see you on Zoom eating on Monday nights. It's all good. Don't try to cover your mouth. It's all good. It's not like you're the only one eating. It's all good. He said, man, I can't wait to get through this God's way because when I get through this with God's way, I'm going to share with you how to get through it too. It's not for you. Don't get in your little pity party. Get through it God's way so he can use you to help others see life from his perspective. So he said, man, when I think of all this, it's for the benefit of the Gentiles, but it's for the benefit of others that we make it through. Look at this. Now he starts his little prince. He says, assuming, by the way, that you already know this, Assuming, by the way, that you know God gave me a special responsibility of extending his grace to you Gentiles, it wasn't welcome. I didn't even think you guys were supposed to have his grace. I tried killing and persecuting you guys till God knocked me down on the road to Damascus and woke me up. Peter thought it was the same thing until Peter got a dream about food. That's how God would speak to me, by the way. But he's like, man, this is, I know it's unheard of that the Jews and Gentiles would make one new race. The world has done nothing and the Jews did nothing but try to divide them into two races. And, and, and is, again, it's nothing new. The world keeps dividing because they think if they're in the division that has the most people, they win. But I'm telling you, the division needs to go away because we win in Christ, amen? And anybody is welcome in that. 
So he said, man, you know God gave me the special responsibility of extending grace to you Gentiles, and the Jews did not like it. As I briefly wrote earlier, you know about Paul's briefly, right? Kind of like mine. He said, God himself revealed his mysterious, mysterious plan. Mystery just means it was not revealed before, and now God has revealed it to Paul. He said, that's where I got it. I certainly did not figure this out. I didn't get it from the rabbis. Didn't get it. God gave me this, and I believe it, and that's why I have been shipwrecked. I have been beat beyond recognition. I have gone through whatever it takes to be able to bring this to you, and it's my privilege to do so, but it's your privilege to receive it, and don't forget that, he says. As you read what I've written you will understand my insight into this plan regarding Christ. I want to keep explaining. As a prisoner, God slowed me down so I can write and keep giving you insight into this plan. God did not reveal it to previous generations. And in fact, you can't, it, without the New Testament, you cannot find the church in the Old Testament. The only reason we can even find the church in the Old Testament is from what we've had explained to us in the New Testament. They had no clue. They had no idea God was going to make a new people out of all the different colors and races and socioeconomic statuses. So God not revealed to previous generations, but now by his spirit, he has revealed it to his holy apostles and prophets. In fact, all of the disciples and apostles and the people who spoke on his behalf were all saying the same thing. And that's what you read in scripture. Quit reading little teeny verses and make them saying what you want them to say. Read the whole thing and you will see that God's plan has unfolded from what he was saying he would do all through the Old Testament, and now we can be saved and saved forever. He said, this is God's plan. Here it is. This is the controversial plan, that both Gentiles and Jews who believe the good news share what? Equally in the riches inherited by God's children, and the Jews couldn't handle that. And the Gentiles are saying, yeah, it doesn't really make sense but you know Christianity is, is counterintuitive. He said both are part of the same body. Both enjoy the promise and blessings. Be, why? Why do they get it? Because they belong to Christ Jesus. How many of y'all belong to Christ Jesus? Without a shadow of a doubt. You belong because you gave him your life, right? That entitles you to everything the Jews and the Greeks had. It entitles you to everything that's available. And I recently read something that said, We'll never do for Christ what he wants us to do until we understand fully what he's done for us. Do you get that? We got to understand what he's done for us to, to be able to go do crazy stuff for him. And, and, and that's what he's asking us to do. He goes, so first he said, I'm made a prisoner, okay? But God made me a prisoner. If you think that's weird, it's what God does. I may be a prisoner to this. Some of y'all moms feel like you're prisoners to your kids, don't you? At some point. It's not bad to shake your head, yes. That's, it's a season. It's a season, but one day, Kristen, one day, you believe it, your house is going to be quiet. You'll be like, oh, praise you. No, dude, it's going to be like Linda and I. They all come, and it's crazy, and all of a sudden they leave, and we're like, well, now what do we do? You're like, oh, don't worry, I'll figure it. No, no, it's the season. Dig the season, you know, in all of this. But he said, God made me a prisoner, man, and this is what I'm supposed to do. So whatever position God has you in, how many of y'all have had your position or life has drastically changed since the end of 2019? Wasn't it 2020 when everything started? How many of y'all have had a change in life? <laughs> yeah, really? The rest of you didn't? Where have you been, man? <laughs> it's like, things have changed. There's a new normal. <laughs> There's all kinds of things that happen. But do you understand everything he's done? He's taken away everybody's gods so that we, the body of Christ, the church, can introduce them to the one God that can never be taken away. So man, so he said, God made me a prisoner. So you may feel like you're a prisoner. You may feel like God put you, God has put you in your situation. Don't be like, oh, well, when I get to do this or when this happens. No, dude, right now, right now, whatever it is, dig the season. Didn't he say, if you're overwhelmed, burdened, put your head in my yoke. A yoke is a piece of wood where two animals put their head in. He's like a big old ox, and you're like a little chihuahua. Your feet don't reach the ground. And you, will, you can either yap your whole way through it, or you can dig the ride. And so right now, dig the ride. He's in charge. You're not. 
dude, be like, all right, at least I ain't getting tired going with you. You know, I mean, just dig the ride. Everything you need's there. But he said, next, he said, God made me a servant or a minister to make you understand this ministry. So understand, Paul said, I'm in it for the long haul. I am going to go through whatever God puts me in because I know my eternity is set, and I want you guys to understand what Christ has done for you. Because it's not until you understand what Christ has done for you that you're going to do what he's asked you to do. You're always only going to give second effort in this. He said, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of serving. That word serving is the word we get the word deacon from, diakonos. And what it meant was a lot of words started when they saw an action and they had to come up with a definition or, or a word to describe it. So they would see people running around and dust stirred up, right? When you run around on dirty trails, there's dust stirred up, right? And they saw that word, some people who were always running around stirring up dust, not trouble, but dust, because they were doing things. They were always serving, looking for someone to help. In a way, they came up with this word, diaconus, which is deacon, which is servant. That's what serving is, is looking, always looking, not to satisfy yourself, but to meet needs that are there, that God puts in front of you. So he says, by God's grace and mighty power, I've been given the privilege of meeting needs, serving you, uh, serving him by spreading the good news. I've been sharing this, that now the Greeks and the Jews, the Greeks and the Jews, the Greeks and the Jews are one. And I've been thrown in jail, but I ain't going to stop. He said, though I am the least deserving of all of God's people, and who knew more about Christianity than Apostle Paul? Anybody, really? No. And sometimes when people have a lot of head knowledge, they puff their head up, don't they? And they think they know a lot. You ever see that happen to people? Like, ooh, and they almost feel arrogant in there. But I'm going to tell you, and I read this earlier, but I don't know about you, but the more I know about who I am in Christ, actually the more humble and lower it makes me because I realize who I am in light of a holy, righteous, omnipotent, omniscient God. The more I know about him, the more I am just grateful that he has called me to be part of the family. Amen? So you have all this great knowledge. Don't try to beat people up because, dude, God can bring people to beat you up with it. <laughs> There's always somebody who knows more, whatever. The purpose of knowing God is to know who he is and how loved we are by him bringing us into this family. It's so undeserved. He said, man... I'm the least deserving of all of God's people. He graciously gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles. This is a dude who's gotten beaten, shipwrecked, all this stuff for telling this. He said, but God gave me the privilege. How many of y'all can say, how many of y'all are going to work tomorrow? Don't raise your hand, but how many of y'all are going to work somewhere tomorrow where you're like, dude, I can't wait till I get a new job. Can't wait till this is over. Can't wait till this. I don't want to see your hand, Mary, because your boss may be watching, and I just blew you love your boss, just a job you hate. I got it. No, bro, just, no. Yeah. How many of y'all could say, God gave me the privilege? I mean, some of y'all are on vacation, right? You're like, oh, I got to go back. It's like below zero. It's ice. Uh, yeah. how, many, how many can say, God gave me the privilege? It's giving me the privilege of going to work tomorrow. Giving me the privilege of being with these people tomorrow. Giving me the privilege. That's what he's saying. God gave me the privilege. You know why it was a privilege? Because it's what God designed for him. There could be no greater thing for him to do. He said, God gave me the privilege of telling the Gentiles about this endless treasures available to him in Christ. Endless treasures. That's what he's going to tell us. And that's what God wants you to be telling other people. Do you know what his endless treasures are? Are you experiencing them on a daily basis? Those are the things. Man, when you, when you experience something great from God, do you have a problem talking about it? Man, I listen. How long did we have a little praise, the, the joy bucket going today? You were running. That's where you're losing all that weight, dude. I'm just saying. But when God's working, you guys are like, yes, yes, yes. And that's encouraging. And that's what he's talking about. He said, man, I can't stop telling people about the endless treasures, even though I'm getting thrown in jail, I'm getting beaten, I'm getting shipwrecked, I'm getting all these things. I can't stop talking about it. He said, I was chosen to explain to everyone this mysterious plan they didn't get in the Old Testament, but the creator of all things had kept secret from the beginning. God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom. Listen to this, guys. Oh, man, this is the best part. You're going to be glad you stayed awake for this, man. 
God's purpose in all of this was to use the church to display his wisdom. So the church, who's the church? Yeah, I am. Who's the church? I am, right? We're all the church. His purpose in this gospel, one of the purposes, was to display his wisdom in its rich variety to the unseen rulers and authorities in heavenly places. You know what this means, guys? And you can check it out when Paul talks about in Corinthians, when they talk about a Corinthians. Did I say Corinthians? That's like a parenthesis in Anyways, but in Corinthians, in Hebrews, you can see it. But dude, this is cool. You know what he's saying? Listen, this is really, really cool. He's saying that the universe is a classroom. He's saying God is the teacher. He's saying the church is the illustration. And he's saying the subject is God's awesome wisdom. So check this out, Kevin, when you're tempted to do something that you know God doesn't want you to do, there's angels watching each one of us, and they're watching you, dude. So God's already in us, right? But when we have a temptation in our life, there's angels checking us out. They're paying close attention, Steve. They're paying close attention there, and, 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 and Kevin, and they're, they're looking, and you know what they're cheering, hoping that you do? What God wants you to do, because they can't believe you, of all people, would do what God wants them to do. God is so rich in his wisdom and his grace and his ability. They're like, dude, they're probably taking bets on the side. I'm just saying. They're not. They're like, oh my goodness. I've watched God take some of these messed up people. Watch this. Hey, Joe, Angel Joe, come on over here. Fred, Angel Fred, come here, man. Watch this. He's getting ready to have a temptation. God's given him the knowledge. Preacher just preached on it. Man, he just had it for a daily devotion. His wife just said something, man. It's like, he's got it. Oh, come on, man. There is no way that scumbag sinner is going to do the right thing. But man, every time we watch, God has allowed him to do it. Oh, my goodness, he's picking. He picked. Yeah! He did the right thing. Do you ever do you look at it that way? That's what he's saying right here. When you do the right thing, Bob. Well, let me ask you a question. In Scripture, we already know it. When one lost sinner comes to Jesus, what do the angels do? What does it say? They rejoice and we go, oh, when one lost sinner comes. Yeah, I'm not making fun of that. But we think it ends there. Dude, Terry, when you're at work in Houston or wherever you happen to be, whatever junkyard you're pursuing, selling giant machines that cut stuff in half, and you have a choice to do the right thing or the wrong thing, there's angels. I mean, think about this. There's, that's what he's saying here. There's angels watching. Now, there are evil angels watching too, you know? But they don't really get the wisdom of God because wisdom is seeing life from God's perspective. But the holy angels are watching you in your choice. How many of y'all realize that? How many of y'all think that's pretty cool? Dude, the angels are watching. I just, got, it blew me away. Maybe you're like, well, duh, everybody knows that. I didn't know it. They're watching. And they're like, oh my goodness, God has changed another wretched wretched scumbag sinner, and he's actually going to do a godly thing. And they're like, he did it. Woohoo! And they're cheering us on. They're they're blown away by the fact that we're following God. I wonder, man, is that not awesome? They're blown away by the fact that we're following God. So you know what? Next time I'm one of them little temptations or big temptations, and I'm like, yeah, I really want to do this, but I know God, and he's forgiven me. You know, I'm going to be like, dude, what should I do, angels? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to talk to the angels. Don't talk to the angels. You're, you're talking to God. But man, I know he is trying to teach the angels how awesome the plan of salvation is by my lifestyle. So think about the responsibility of that. You're the illustration He's like, okay, so God's up there saying, all right, angels, watch this. I've given him grace and mercy, and he's going to choose. Watch. And they're like, oh, no way. And all of a sudden he does. He see, I told him. And they're like, and, and, and do they say, oh, Terry, you're awesome. No, they're like, God, you're awesome, because I know what he really wanted to do, aside from you, Christ. And so it brings glory to him among the angels. Hey, let me ask you a question. Who can worship God the best right now? 
if you were going up against some angels in a worship contest, well, let's get Marissa, man. You got your drums, you got your pink hat, man. You got microphone. If you go up against some angels in a worship contest, who, who can worship the best? Oh, not probably. They can. They can blow you. They can knock your hat off, man. And socks. Yeah, angels, they were created beings. They worship. That's all they do. You don't just worship, right? The more you do something, better you get. I mean, you, you worship a lot, but that's all the angels do. They're great worshipers. One day we'll be worshiping with them, but they're looking for opportunities to worship God, and it's through your lifestyle. Remember, this is the best illustration I heard on the whole thing, was that if the universe is a classroom, this is by John MacArthur, he said this, if the universe is a classroom, he said, and God's a teacher, the church, that's me and you, we're the illustration, and the subject is the infinite, varied wisdom, all the crazy wisdom God has in what he can accomplish and the angels want, God's always trying to get people to worship him. He's all, he, everything he does is to be worshiped, and rightly so. So he's giving us opportunities to succeed so the angels can worship him. And we can worship in an inferior way, which later will be pretty awesome. I just thought that was pretty cool. We're almost done here. This was his eternal plan, which he carried out through the Lord Jesus Christ. Because of Christ and our faith in him, we can now come boldly and confidently into God's presence. Hey, in the Old Testament, who, who could come to God? The high priest, how often could he come? Yeah, dude, and he was swinging incense, baby. In fact, the, uh, the, the his, historical records say that dude had a, he had bells, we know he had bells on his garment, and he had a rope tied to his ankle. Uh, why did history say he had a rope tied to his ankle? Yeah, because if he went in and God didn't accept his sacrifice, you going in after him? <laughs> not, no, he's the only one, dude. I want to be pulling that sucker out, you know. I'm not going in after him. It was such a, and yet we, because of what Christ did, whether you're Jew, you're Greek, whether you're financially set or destitute, whether you're a genius or you're mentally challenged, Whatever the distinction, there is no distinction in the kingdom other than you belong to Christ. Quit using these other distinctions and trying to attach yourself to other broken ropes. All you forms of pom-pom, and the excitement only lasts as long as that issue lasts. Man, attach yourself to the eternal issue, which is Christ, the one that's going to last forever. So he says, man, because of Christ and our faith in him, we can come boldly and confidently into God's presence. The high priest couldn't even do that. So look what he says, and we'll end here. Next week, we'll go into the prayer. Please don't lose heart. Isn't that what you were talking about, Zane? Please don't lose heart. Don't lose hope, especially if you're in the middle of something trying. He said, and Zane and I didn't even talk about what I was preaching on or none of that. He didn't know I was going to steal it. My worst nightmare when God was giving me this in the shower this morning as I'm praying, God, how do I even start this all off? I was thinking, man, what if Zane does it too? He said, well, they'll hear it twice. <laughs> and you didn't. You went totally somewhere else. But, man, that's the hope. Please don't lose heart because my trial's here. He said, I'm suffering for you, so you should feel honored that God gave me the privilege to do that. So in this, don't let anyone create divisions. We are how many? Yeah. All right, so let me ask you a question. All right, let's, let's go with the blondes against the brunettes. Blondes, stand up. Well, no, because you're going to be gray, and you're going to say, no, that's not me. We go blondes again. What? You know, you don't see many older ladies with gray hair anymore. It ain't because they ain't got it. I'm just saying. But <laughs> no, I'm just, and I'm not saying you're one of them. I'm just saying I've noticed something over the years, all right? But, and I don't mean derogatory. So we got blondes against the brunettes, against the redheads, all right? Redheads are like, what about us? Because ah, you guys are all fiery, right? If we even got any in here. How about the no hairs? We got some no hairs? Yeah, all right, there we go. I, I'm, you know, we could create divisions over everything and anything. Oh, how many of y'all are daggum snowbirds? How many of y'all are locals? Well, how long you been a local? Well, you ain't really a local. I mean, whatever. We can create divisions over everything. But the fact is, how many of y'all are one in Christ? Then you know what? We're all together. And how, Mary, how long are we going to be together? So wouldn't it make sense to start liking each other now? I'm just saying. 
If you're going to be with them people forever, just start liking them now. Realizing that your external and internal, your, your human divisions mean absolutely nothing if you're one in Christ. Don't let the world divide us because that's how they want to conquer. If we can stay united, man, we can conquer for the kingdom. And that's what Paul takes the parentheses and says, I want to remind you one more time, you're in one accord. There's unity. If you need to, picture all these people in one Honda Accord together. <laughs> Remember how y'all used to like jump in Volkswagen Beetles? <laughs> we get the picture. That, that's what we're supposed to be in the church, man. We're all together. Let's pray. Father, I'm coming in the name of Jesus. I'm so grateful that I can come in that name because you covered my sin. I'm grateful for that you did everything concerning my salvation so I could do nothing to mess it up. And Father, I do pray if there's somebody here that's never given their life to Christ, and they truly now know because your Holy Spirit has shown them that they need salvation. Father, I pray that they would count on you for that, that you would just speak to their heart and they'd be able to surrender everything they know about themselves to everything they know about you. And they would know they're part of this family. For those of, those of us that are in this family, Father, I pray that we would act like it. I pray that the world would know who we are because of our love, starting with our love for each other. And as we have that love for each other, Father, it'd be like a big juicy mango in Haiti, and it would just drip down the elbows of this world onto everyone. I pray, Father, we would drip that love down on everyone. Please help me do that this week. I didn't have a good week of doing that, but I want to be better. So, Father, help us to be one. And I pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.